Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Saturday. April 1st, 2023. This is Shannon. Today I am here with Amber, Melissa, and Brooke, and we are doing a true crime episode, which we have never done before, and I am very, very excited to be talking about some true crime books today. So we are going to get started with the usual housekeeping information, then I will start us off followed by Melissa, Brooke, and last will be Amber. You can find us on Facebook by searching for the Book Bistro podcast. Once there, you can post to our timeline. You can also message us privately. If you want a more social interaction, you can join our Facebook listener group, which is pretty quiet at the moment, though we are looking at some ways of possibly revamping it. If Facebook is not your thing and you still would like to hang out with us, check us out on our WhatsApp group. You can subscribe to that either by messaging us through Facebook or by sending us an email and one of us will be happy to add you. If you're looking to get a hold of us via email, you can do that by contacting the book bistro podcast at gmail.com. So my first book of the day is The Girls, An All-American Town, A Predatory Doctor, and the Untold Story of the Gymnasts Who Brought Him Down by Abigail Pesta. So this is set in Lansing and the surrounding areas, which is about an hour and a half, maybe two hours from where I live. And this is the story of a group of gymnasts who were sexually abused by Dr. Larry Nasser over a period of about 30 years. And he was the doctor for Michigan State. He worked in their sports medicine clinic. He was the sports medicine doctor for the group of like Olympic hopefuls. He worked in various gyms where he had all kinds of access to young girls and women. He also worked, uh, quote unquote, you know, volunteered as a sports medicine specialist for a few high schools in the area. In 2014, he was reported to the police. Unfortunately, it was not taken seriously. Um, and it wasn't until 2016 when a woman by the name of Rachel Den Hollander contacted a newspaper that this was actually brought out into the open and a serious investigation was launched. Um, Den Hollander wrote a book of her own called What is a Girl Worth? And if you want a like a deep dive into this whole story from her perspective, I highly, highly recommend reading this one or that one. But this that I'm talking about here, The Girls, focuses on 25 of the gymnasts 
who were abused by this man and the way in which they banded together over a series of months and years to make sure that he paid for the crimes that he committed against them. Um, This is a story with a lot of female empowerment. Um, I loved knowing that these women were able to rise above everything that they had been through and speak out against this man and actually see justice done. Um, We look a lot here at Michigan State University and how culpable they were in allowing this abuse to continue for so long. The ways in which people covered for him, um, the ways in which people were silenced when they tried to report his abuse. Um, It is a very difficult read, but one that I think is important, especially when we think about the ways in which women and girls are treated as they are training in like elite level sports. So this is The Girls, an all-American town, a predatory doctor, and the untold story of the gymnasts who brought him down by Abigail Pesta. Wow, that sounds good. It does sound good. My first book today is called Lullaby and Goodnight by Vincent Bugliosi. He wrote the book Helter Skelter about Charles Manson and the Manson family. This book is written by him. It tells the story of an, she's an aspiring actress. She's a single mom. She's beautiful. And her name is Emily Stanton. And she basically murders her husband. This took this took place in the 1920s in New York, which I would love to have been that in just experience New York in the 19. <laughs> so um, I don't want to tell you how she does it, but she's on trial for murdering her husband, and it includes a sex scandal and violence and things and a lot of abuse of her but that's what I'm gonna say it is lullaby and goodnight by Vincent Bugliosi my first book this evening is last call (laughs) a true story of love lust and murder in Queer New York by Elon Green. As you can tell from the title, it's about a bunch of murders of queer men that took place in New York. Um, It takes place in the 1980s and 1990s. It took a lot of time to figure out that there was actually, like, that these were connected. So where... First, I'll describe where the where the men were being discovered. Well, at the time, um, AIDS was becoming very like it was kind of on the rise. So there was a lot of discrimination and a lot of like bias and a lot of like trying to needing to hide that was happening within the queer community. And so a lot of men would congregate at these different piano um, 
bars within New York City, which I think is so cool. Like, I would like to go to a piano bar, I think. But um, I would like to go to one that does not have a murder at it. But so what was happening was this man was, like, scoping out different people in these bars and would take home these men and would end up murdering them. And he would dispose them in places that were not like, they were kind of like all over New York. So people didn't realize that the, that they were connected. So it took a lot of time to discover that this was happening. And it just happened that one of the barkeeper, like the, um, the bartenders was really um, like a very attentive and realized that one of the their kind of popular guys that used to come to the bar all the time, he he introduced her to this guy and said he was a nurse. And then that next day, the guy never showed up and they didn't see him. And then they found him dead. So they connected him to this like nurse who worked in a New York hospital. And that's how kind of how they started to put everything together. This was a really interesting read. Um, it told the story of each of the different men and it told like the story of what was happening with the AIDS, like with the rise of AIDS and how it was affecting how things were like how things were reported, um, how these men were being targeted and also like how the investigations themselves were not done to the best of their ability because of that discrimination and bias. So this is Last Call, a true story of love, lust, and murder in queer New York by Elon Green. This is on my TBR. So my first book today is entitled When a Killer Calls by John E. Douglas. So John Douglas is one of the founders of the profiling unit in the FBI. And he has written several books on, <clears throat> you know, the art of profiling and how it got started. And this book is the second in a series regarding profiling. And this book is about Sherry and Deborah May and what happens to them and what happens to the man who kidnapped and murdered both of them. So we start out in South Carolina and <clears throat> it was, I believe, back in the 80s, if I remember correctly. And Sherry was a senior in high school and she was kidnapped from her mailbox where she went to stop to get the mail. And the killer started calling her family and talking to them about what was going on with Sherry. And it was all lies, basically. Like, you know, and uh, at that point, the FBI got involved. And a few weeks later, her body was found. And then exactly two weeks after the body was found, he kidnaps a little girl by the name of Deborah May outside of her house with her brother, her little brother, watching. And he doesn't call 
Deborah May's family. And it talks a little bit about why he didn't call Deborah May's family, why he continued to call Sherry's family. And just um, it goes through, you know, how they profiled him and what happened to him. Um, <clears throat> and this book was really interesting for the profiling aspect and, you know, just how far technology has come and things like that. So this first book is When a Killer Calls by John E. Douglas. So my next book just came out um, in mid-March, and this is We Were Once a Family, a story of love, death, and child removal in America by Roxana Asgarian. So this is about a crime that occurred in 2018 when first responders found an SUV at the bottom of a cliff and inside were the bodies of two women and several children. So at first, no one really knew who these people were, how this car had gotten down to the bottom of the cliff. As the investigation went on, they realized that this was a murder-suicide. So Sarah and Jennifer Hart were a white lesbian couple who were married and had decided to adopt six African-American children from two families in Texas. Um, the first group of children were adopted in 2006 and the second in 2008. Now, these women lived in Minnesota, so these were out-of-state adoptions. The state of Texas knew very, very little about these women and the home that they were going to be bringing these children into, and that becomes apparent like pretty quickly as you read this book. There was just not a lot of research done to make sure that these children were going to be kept safe. So what we learn as the story progresses is that these women were very abusive and neglectful to all six of these kids. They had a big social media presence where they sort of presented themselves as white saviors and they were you know, giving these children a much better life than they could have had with their birth families. But in reality, this was not the case. When people began to get suspicious um, of things that they, they saw, things that just didn't seem right to them, Jennifer and Sarah packed up, removed their kids from school, and moved across the country where no one knew them. So by the time the murder-suicide occurred in 2018, they were living in California, and people knew very little about them. Um, very little about the lives that these children were leading. And once everyone was dead, it was very hard to sort of unpack everything and figure out what had led to the murder-suicide. One of the things I liked most about this book is that Asgarian, who is a journalist, put the focus squarely on the birth families and the state agencies that did not do the research that they should have done. It talks about the racism that is running rampant through the child welfare system, the ways in which children are removed from families of color and given to white families regardless 
of what kind of lives they'll be leading with those families. Um, I liked seeing this from the perspectives of the birth families, getting to know kind of what the real situations were that had these children removed from their homes and the ways in which the system let these families down, both in you know keeping their families together, but also finding out just what was going on once their children were adopted. Um, again, as I think is a common theme with the books we're discussing today, this is a hard read, but one that is very, very important. This is We Were Once a Family, a story of love, death, and child removal in America by Roxana Asgarian. This is wow, definitely is going to my PDR, my TBR. Yes. Me too. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's very good, but very, uh, very sad. Okay. My next book is called Silent Witness, and it's by Don Weber. It tells the story of Carla Brown. Carla Brown is living her life in 1978. She has just purchased a home in Wood River, Illinois with her fiance and on a day in 1978 she was in her home and someone knocked on the door and she noticed it was their neighbor and she said you know you need any help and then he put the moves on her basically and she told him I want you to leave well this neighbor kills her and then he rapes and kills her and then he takes his time to um get new clothes for her and he tries to wipe the blood off the sofa and he's he's trying to stage it so it took about four or five years for them to solve it and figure out who the person was that murdered her. And the book is written with a reporter and the prosecuting attorney. Um, there is also a forensics files episode on this case. And it lets you know all kinds of things like how they didn't notice certain things in the, uh, in the crime scene photos and how she got how he had bitten her on the shoulder so the book is called silent witness the murder of carla brown written by don weber this sounds like a case that was definitely not investigated very well like not to yeah, realize and it was that before somebody dna somebody <laughs> Kind of creepy to me how many cases like are not investigated very well, even now when you know right. DNA is a thing. Um, like there's just all kinds of stuff that people don't pay attention to, and it kind of seems like they should. Yeah. My next book is a false report, a true story of rape in America by T. Christian Miller and Ken Armstrong. 
So this book starts out by telling us about the case of Maria. And Marie was 18 years old and she goes to the police and reports that she has been raped. Um, apparently somebody broke into her apartment and raped her. Um, and she called her like foster, her former foster mom to let her know that this happened to her. She called the authorities, she called her neighbor. And as the investigation starts to unravel, we start learning about Marie. And you sort of start to get these little glimpses into her life and into that's kind of show the or kind of make the investigators start wondering if she's actually given like a, a true report or if she's making it up. So apparently, like as we're learning throughout the book, you learn more and more about Marie. And apparently she went through a different a couple of different foster homes and she had kind of a she kind of had a habit of if she didn't get something the way that she wanted it or if she couldn't like be the center of attention then she would like make like say things that would get that attention for her and she would or she would demand a change in her like living situation or whatever she always wanted to be the center of attention so as the investigators are investigating they're talking to her former foster parents and her her foster parents are telling them about her life with them and then they're also talking to her friends and learning about her so then they real they start to feel that she's making like a false report and they accuse her of doing this so after being like completely shattered marie tells them that oh i was lying i it didn't actually happen so then she was charged with filing a false report. And she ended up having to go to court for this. So we fast forward two years and we join in an investigator named Stacy Galgrave um, and then Edna, somebody that I can't remember her name, but they have, they get these cases of women who have been, who have been raped or assaulted and they are talking about, so if somebody comes into their room, assaults them, takes pictures, and then tells them, like, if you tell anybody, then I'm going to, like, release all these pictures that I took. So, like, this could be horrifying to the families, obviously. Um, so not only have they been raped by this man, but also their lives could be destroyed even further by all these pictures, um, being released. So they're very fearful of this. At the same time, he also gets them to clean. So very, like, very meticulously, he did clean everything up. And so they start to wonder, the investigators, when they begin investigating, as I said, um, they begin to wonder if this person might be a soldier or a police officer or somebody that would have like input into the whole criminal mind of things. And as they begin investigating, they start to find like 
different men that are kind of connected, whether they were sitting out front, like um, there's one report where there's a guy sitting out in a van, sitting out front of somebody's house. And they start investigating some of these different calls and they start to point at this one person. And as the book goes along, they put together this case and then they realize as they're going along, they realize that it is this person. And then they also learn that there is a connection to Murray. And I don't want, like, I would love to tell you what that connection is, but I also don't want to tell you because I don't want to ruin the book. But I really actually quite enjoy these books. Like I do find at times nonfiction to be um, a little dry, but like so far of the books that I read for this um, episode, I found them really, really interesting. Like I did not want to stop reading. So this is A False Report, A True Story of Rape in America by T. Christian Miller and Ken Armstrong. My second book that I wanted to talk about was one that I was looking forward for a very long time. And that book is called The Angel Makers, Arsenic, A Midwife, and Modern History's Most Astonishing Murder Ring by Patty McCracken. This takes place in Hungary. Uh, in It starts in like 1916 and it goes to like 1929. And basically there was a village midwife named Auntie Susie. And Auntie Susie was the, the uh, midwife for the village. And she, you know, helped women give birth. She was kind of also like a doctor in a way. Um, and she used herbs and things, you know, to uh, heal the villagers in this small village. So along with that, the author, you know, profiles some of the people that died. So there was a woman's husband who died. There were some babies who died. And you find out through, you know, this book that there was like a whole ring of women who were responsible for all these deaths. But Auntie Susie was kind of the ringleader. She would give women arsenic in order to kill, you know, their husbands or their sons or whomever they wanted to die. And there were like a ton of people who participated, there were like three or four villages, um, you know, Auntie Susie did all this stuff so that she could stay, you know, in her midwife position. Um, there was her daughter then became the midwife and like Auntie Susie was kind of still running this ring. And it was just, I was astonished. I'd never heard of this before. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I was, it, it was a very extensive ring. And it's just really interesting how they did, you know, the forensics on this and stuff because it was so early in the century. So if you want a book that will definitely make you think and, um, you know, it's, it's also good history, read The Angel Makers, Arsenic, A Midwife, and Modern History's Most Astonishing Murder Ring by Patty McCracken. 
So my last book deals with a case that I have been kind of interested in since I first heard about it in 2014. This is Slender Man, Online Obsession, Mental Illness, and the Violent Crime of Two Midwestern Girls by Kathleen Hale. This involves the Slender Man stabbing, which took place in 2014. And this was actually in Waukesha, Wisconsin, which became kind of famous um, in 2021 and 2022 when Daryl Brooks drove his car through the Christmas parade there in 2021. And then there was the trial um, for those actions in 2022. But way before that happened, in May of 2014, two 12-year-old girls stabbed one of their classmates. They were actually trying to kill her. Fortunately for her, they did not succeed. Now, what we learn as the investigation into this crime unfolds is that these two girls, Morgan and Anissa, were very interested in this website called Creepypasta. And this is a website where horror stories are written and posted um, I guess kind of like fan fiction, but not, I, I don't know. But Slender Man was a creation on this website. And Morgan and Anadisa were convinced that he was real. And that they wanted to live with him in some place called Slender Mansion. In order to do this, they had to bring him a sacrifice. And that sacrifice had to be someone that was important to these girls. And so they decided that they were going to pick their classmate, Peyton Leutner, who was once Morgan's best friend. Now, this crime rocked this community. Like, A, these girls were super young. The, the crime was very violent. And then the whole thing about it being sort of motivated by a fictional character really stumped and confounded a whole bunch of people, like all the investigators, lawyers, just townspeople, everyone. But what wasn't taken into account, a lot of people feel, is that Morgan Geyser, who was the 12-year-old girl who actually used the knife to stab Peyton Lautner, was suffering from early-onset schizophrenia. And after this crime was committed, she was hospitalized, but denied antipsychotic uh, medications. And just a whole bunch of things happened during the course of her quote unquote treatment that really caused people to take a look at the intersection between mental health and crime and the ways in which people who are mentally ill are very often neglected in our criminal justice system. This in no way attempts to excuse what these two girls did. Instead, it shines a light on the things that led up to the crime and the ways in which the system failed both the offenders and the victim in this case. Um, I have seen online um, some of the hearings where they were trying to figure out what the proper form of punishment was for these two. I've seen the sentencing hearing for Anissa Wire and the um, sentencing for Morgan Geyser as well. 
And it's just very clear that these were two extremely troubled young girls and that there wasn't really anything in place to rehabilitate them. Um, Now um, Anissa is out of the institution where she has been, where she had been kept since the crime happened, but Morgan is still incarcerated and will be, um, I think for probably another 30 years or so seems to be uh, what I remember. But this was just very, very fast paced. It's one of those books that is, you know, definitely nonfiction, but as you're reading it, it feels almost like you're reading a novel. It's just, it's that compelling. So it kind of goes along with what Brooke was saying when she was describing her last book. It's one of these things that's very, very hard to put down. This is Mm -hmm. Slender Man, Online Obsession, Mental Illness, and the Violent Crime of Two Midwestern Girls by Kathleen Hale. I have not heard of this book, but I'm definitely adding this to my TBR because this is definitely a case I want to know. It's a wild ride. It was a good book. It's a very oh, good book. Oh, did you read it? Yes. <laughs> my last book is by... In rule, the title is Last Dance, Last Chance. Now, this is a book she compiled five stories. The lead story tells about Teresa. She is out one night in the 70s at a disco where she meets Tony, a plastic surgeon, and they fall in love and they end up married. Tony isn't quite licensed to be a, he isn't licensed at all to be a plastic surgeon. So he makes this bald things for men who are balding and it has screws and things that you have to put in their head and, and it's just awful. And then he operates on this young woman and she dies. Because, you know, he's not licensed and he's so oh arrogant, God. he's thinking he can save her. Oh. And then they let him out on bond and he starts poisoning Teresa. Oh, my God. With arsenic. <laughs> so um, they figure all this out. And he's tried for murder and attempted murder. So the story goes on to tell you about the trial, um, other patients he had maimed, and Teresa picking up her life. And at the end, it talks about the song that they danced to by Donna Summer called Last Dance, Last Chance. This is Last Dance, Last Chance, by Anne Rule, who is a very good um, crime writer. One of people may remember The Stranger Beside Me is about Ted Bundy. And Small Sacrifices is about Diane Downs, who shot her kids in Oregon. I love Anne Rule. I don't know (laughs) if I've read any of her books, which is really surprising. So my last book is Empire of Pain, the Secret History of the Sackler Dynasty 
by Patrick Ratten Keefe. And like my others, this was actually recently published. It was actually published in 2021. So as you can tell from the title, this is about the Sackler family. And they are in the center of the opioid epidemic. epidemic. So this book goes through the family and talks about um, their like their fortune and how they're well known for donating money to Harvard. Um, they're also well known for donating money to the arts. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that this family has a big, big, like a big place where they got a lot of their fortune is through the, for, through the development of opioids such as um, OxyContin. Um, they, so they kind of started out this whole thing, um, by realizing that like morphine is a medication that was really only being used by people who have cancer. And it was only being at the time was only being used through intravenous. Um, and they realized that there's a lot of people out there that have a lot of pain but they don't want to go to hospitals and be stuck having to like, even people with cancer who are dying, they don't want to be stuck in hospitals in order to not be in pain. So the Sackler family, they realize that there, there's gotta be a way to be able to give people the ability to take morphine in a pill form. So they start doing their um, experiments and they develop with the morphine pill. And so they're doing this and things are going great. But then they realize that there's something better out there. And this is where OxyContin comes in. Um, they realize that it's stronger than morphine, but they don't, they don't advertise it this way. So they advertise it as being um, a medication that will be great for pain, that is going to be better than morphine. And what is even better if they, they're saying anyway, is that there's not going to be that addictive aspect. And so they, through their pharmaceutical company, which is called Purdue Pharma, they start advertising this OxyContin and it gets really, really famous. And then they have like drug, we learn about their drug reps who are out there promoting these medications. And they're also kind of keeping track of who are like the big, um, big prescribers out there. And so they know that there's, there's a problem developing, but they're like, they're just kind of promoting it. They're saying, oh, there's no way that there's gonna be any like addiction issues. But then they start, things start happening. Um, and there starts getting reports of doctors that, and they're working with like, they're having people coming in and like getting these fake prescriptions. And like, there's some doctors that are prescribing like say like 10,000 pills a month to some people. And it's just getting ridiculous. And they're, they're kind of like pushing it under the rug. They're completely ignoring that this is a problem. And in the book, we're learning about the 
three generations of the Sackler family and how each in each generation, there's at least one person who can really be blamed for the problems that were happening. And so once all of this was going through, they had, we talked, we learned that when they were, I think it was in 2008, when they were put through um, the court system, they had a few of their employees kind of go under and like kind of take the fall. So that way the company themselves and the family themselves could kind of avoid blame. And so we're learning about this. And we're also learning about some of the other family members who have really, this kind of like, soak in the fame but they haven't had any they don't do anything with the whole drug side of the family so they're trying to a lot of the family is trying to make people pay attention to that side and it's almost like the family themselves are almost split into two so we're learning about how there's some infighting within the family as well um we learn about how from the next stage in, um, they realize that they're starting to lose money. So then they decide that they're going to try and put together a medication that you can't like break up. So then they come out with a different form of OxyContin and they start promoting that. And of course that has its own issues. Um, I at first was a little bit worried about this book because it's like, really, really long. It's, uh, I think it's about 600 and something pages. And so I was a little bit concerned about the size and I was worried that it was going to be really dry, but like, it was really fascinating to see all the different people in this family and how, when they were kind of talked to, like, for example, there's Richard Sackler. And I think he's from like the second, kind of like the second generation um, he's on the, on the stand and he's being asked all these questions and he's answering the questions like he has absolutely no shame this guy. He does not believe that his family or any of his decisions have led to these big epidemics of, opi- of opioids. He has no like, it's just the way that the author explains um. Richard's kind of brushing off of the issue was just kind of fascinating to me. Um, The way that they talk about some of the stories of some of the people who have died after taking um, OxyContin and then talking to the family about these people and the family's like, well, we didn't take it. We didn't prescribe it there. Or (laughs) some of the family's like, well, I don't work at the company. So it's really fascinating to me how this family has become so popular yet they want nothing to do with taking the spotlight on what what they've caused by their development and by their company. So this is Empire of Pain, The Secret History of the Sackler Dynasty by Patrick Rotten or Red, Redden Keefe. Okay. I read a write-up of this. Somebody shared it to my Facebook feed. Um, it was something that was written in the New York Times about these people. And 
just all the stuff yeah. that they've done. And it kind of reminded me of when Xanax was created and people were like, oh, Xanax is better than Valium. You won't become addicted to it. It's like, uh-huh. Right. That's exactly <laughs> that's how that works. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that because um, Valium is actually kind of where this whole family began. The last book that I wanted to talk about is an interesting one if you're into the Old West and you find things like that interesting. This book is Gentleman Bandit, the true story of Black Bart, the Old West's most infamous stagecoach robber by John Bosenecker. And I hope that I did not destroy your name. Sorry, sir. This is about a gentleman who called himself Black Bart, who robbed stagecoaches in California, Oregon, and possibly a few in Nevada, but they're not 100% sure. He only hit Wells Fargo stagecoaches, and he never killed anyone. In fact, they were usually not violent at all. It talks a little bit about, you know, Black Bart, who he was, and how, you know, how they couldn't find him for a really long time. Um, he was very good at what he did. He was a meticulous planner, and he also led kind of a double or even a triple life. He had a, a wife and kids back in Iowa that he pretty much abandoned. Or was it Missouri? I don't remember. That he pretty much abandoned, but he basically had them convinced that, like, he still loved them. He was a gentleman in San Francisco, and then he robbed stagecoaches in California and Oregon. So just a really interesting, um, you know, man. Um, it talks a lot about what happened to him, how, you know, the marshals and stuff, you know, stuff tried to catch him and they were not, you know, they were not able to do that. So if you are into the old West and you want to learn about the most prolific, um, stagecoach robber in all of California and the West, check this book out. It is Gentleman Bandit, the true story of Black Bart, the Old West's most infamous stagecoach robber by John Bosnicker. All right. So this concludes our look at some true crime books. Thank you so much to Amber, Melissa, and Brooke for joining me today. As always, thanks goes out to Christine for all of her fantastic editing. And we thank each and every one of you so much for joining us each week as we talk about great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. <laughs>